Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Stoffenbaugh as he speaks an encouraging word titled, Real Forgiveness. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with each of you today. I love you. God bless you in Jesus' name. I have a wonderful sermon, and it's called Real Forgiveness. Now, uh, there's going to be a lot of things in here that I... Uh, I really believe are super important for each of you to to uh, to fill your heart and mind with. So let's pray. Father, we want you to be really glorified today, and I pray you'll take me over by your Holy Spirit. I pray you'll put ministering angels by each person that listens or reads this message and uh, and just do wonderful work through the power of your Spirit using your Word. We pray this all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. So the title is Real Forgiveness. Now, it's become popular in Christian circles, unfortunately, to teach people to forgive themselves. Now, at first, that sounds right. It's actually a very serious and unscriptural error, and it plays right into the devil's hands. But in this message, you're going to learn how to be free from shame and condemnation over your past in a way that leaves the devil nothing to use to condemn you with. Now, my first point is that God went to a lot of trouble to provide real forgiveness and justification for you. In order for your sins to be forgiven thoroughly so that your sins are removed from God's memory, God had to do something. No matter how hard you try to forgive yourself, you could never remove your sins from God's record books or from his memory. In order for that to happen, God had to become a man. Now that's a wow. Almighty God came to earth as a man, lived a sinless life, and then yielded himself up to torture, mutilation, humiliation, and death on the cross. Now the Bible says in Isaiah 1:27, Zion will be redeemed with justice and her repentant ones with righteousness. We think of justice as something that's done to criminals to punish them. So how could we be redeemed, brought back to God by justice? I thought we were redeemed by God's mercy. Well, both God's mercy and justice were satisfied by Jesus on the cross. We receive God's mercy, of course. But divine justice was satisfied completely so that all the records of our sins have been removed and destroyed if we ask God to forgive us through Jesus Christ. Now, God's divine justice was satisfied by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. In this way, God provides both forgiveness and justification. Now, justification means just as if we'd never sinned because in Christ, we're declared justified or righteous in God's sight, meaning there's nothing left to forgive. All sins have been removed and forgotten, erased from God's record books. Well, you see, that's why self-forgiveness can't do anything like that. Now, we need to get familiar with Isaiah chapter 53. So I'm going to read a long portion of scripture here. But if you're ever witnessing to a Jewish person, this is the chapter to use because something like 600 years before Christ, Isaiah prophesied his coming and his 
torture and crucifixion and resurrection. So here we go, Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had, has no stately form or majesty that we should look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. He was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain and familiar with sickness, and one like from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we had no regard for him. However, it was our sicknesses that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God and humiliated, but he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being or our peace, the word is shalom, was laid upon him and by his wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. That's from the New American Standard Bible, Isaiah 53, 1 through 5. Now let's go to verse 10. But the Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief. If he renders himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That means he's going to be raised from the dead. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many, for he will bear their wrongdoings. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the plunder with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was counted with wrongdoers. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the wrongdoers. That's verses 10 through 12. Now, verse 10 has a footnote in it where it says, um, the Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief. When you read the footnotes, it says the Lord made him sick. So Jesus bore our sins and sicknesses on the cross so that we could be both forgiven and healed. In other words, physical healing is in the atonement. Sin and sickness always go together. So redemption deals with them both simultaneously. Now notice verse 11, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. Only Jesus can provide justification making it just as if you'd never sinned by removing all guilt and all shame. So when someone says you need to forgive yourself, just remember, no, no, no. This is uh, God's territory. I'm not going to bring self-help into this arena. Now, secondly, God nailed the record of your debt to the cross. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, and you who were dead in transpasses and transpasses, trespasses, excuse me, you who are dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him or in the cross. 
Now, what were the devil, his fallen angels, and his demons armed with? Well, they were armed with the records of your sin. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser or the accuser of the brethren. So Apostle John wrote, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. Now, so that's what the devil likes to do constantly is accuse you. That's Revelations chapter 12, verse 10. These accusations do not have any power if we have repented because then the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin and there is no record in heaven. So here's how it goes. Satan says, they did this wrong and they did that wrong and they should be punished. And God says to the angels, open the record books and see if there's any record of these things. Well, the angels open the books and report, no, Lord, uh, those pages have all been edited. Uh, you erased those things and they can, they're no longer in the books. <laughs> now, you see, could you disarm rulers and authorities with self-forgiveness? Of course you couldn't. But by trying, here's, now listen carefully, by trying to forgive yourself, you are admitting that there's still a debt of sin. You're admitting there's still something to forgive. So you're literally handing the devil the ammunition he needs to condemn you to make you feel guilty and shameful. Dear friends, you cannot overcome the accuser of the brethren with self-forgiveness. Now, you do need to stop condemning yourself, and we will get to that. But forgiveness comes from God for your sins. Now, I want you to imagine a warrior going to battle against a fire-breathing dragon, and the warrior has a cardboard sword and a shield made of straw against a fire-breathing dragon. What's going to happen? Well, that warrior's going to be instantly defeated, and that's a picture of self-forgiveness. You see, to forgive yourself, you're going to have to go up against the devil himself. After you've pulled the record of debt that stood against you off of the cross and handed it back to him, rearming him. Now, this is why it is said by people, the hardest person to forgive is yourself. And everybody, yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, that's true. Well, the reason it's true is because it's impossible. It's way beyond you. And the more you try, the more the devil will remind you of your sins and rub your face in condemnation and shame. Now, how do we overcome the devil? Listen to this. The Bible says in Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Uh, another translation, that's uh, New King James New American Standard says they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And the NIV says they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Now, the word of your testimony is not, I forgive myself. Now I forgive myself. I'm going to forgive myself. I'll keep trying to forgive myself. I wish I could forgive myself. You see, it degenerates into that. 
The word of your testimony is this. The blood of the Lamb of God was shed for the forgiveness of my sins. The record of my debt with its legal demands was nailed to the cross. Satan, you are disarmed. Be gone with your accusations. Jesus has set me free. Now that's the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony that overcomes that fire-breathing dragon of accusation. Please, dear friends, Never bring self-help into the arena of forgiveness. It does not belong there. It's powerless there. It will work against you. Rather, stand your ground on what Jesus did to provide your forgiveness. Stand your ground on the completeness of it, because then you'll overcome and triumph over the devil, your accuser. Now, my third point is that Jesus has become our defense lawyer, our advocate. Even though there is now no record uh, in God's books of the sins that you've repented of, the devil has his own record books. Now, they have no legal standing because the devil is not our judge. Only God's records count. But the devil will use his records of your sin as he accuses you. Jesus represents us before the courts of heaven as our attorney our defense attorney, our advocate. So John wrote this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and also for the sins of the whole world. John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2. Now I'm going to make this as practical as I can. When the devil's trying to remind you of how stupid you were, or how bad you were, or how mean you were, or how selfish you were, or how impure you were, just say, go talk to my lawyer. (laughs) Go talk to my advocate. He handles these matters for me. All right? Now, self-forgiveness is like a person on trial who knows nothing of the law or legal matters, but he's trying to represent himself as his own lawyer. Before the courts of heaven, with eternal judgment at stake, with a former archangel of great power and craftiness who hates you and wants to destroy you, do you want to try to represent yourself? (laughs) Oh, that's what self-forgiveness does. And once you attempt to forgive yourself, instead of standing in the forgiveness of Christ, you become your own attorney. You represent yourself. That's a bad idea. Now, when the devil accuses me of sin using his own record books, I'm so thankful that Jesus stands up and says, Objection, Your Honor. I've already paid for that with my own blood. Justice has already been satisfied. And the Father's going to side with Jesus, your advocate, and he's going to say, sustained. Now, if a judge sustains the objection, it means that the judge agrees with that objection and disallows the question, the testimony, or the evidence. God will disallow the devil's records of your debt of sin as being illegitimate because the debt is paid in full. That's just wonderful. But you see, if you insist on forgiving yourself, then the devil will say, look here, God, this person is guilty and they're admitting that they have a debt of sin. They're agreeing with my record books, not yours. They aren't trusting in your son. And Jesus has no right to represent them as their advocates since they've chosen to represent themselves. Now, do you see what a serious error it is for preachers 
to be telling people they need to forgive themselves. It's like they've forgotten the gospel. Now, this is why there's, listen, there's absolutely nothing in the Bible about forgiving yourself, not one verse. My fourth point is start marking verses in your Bible that speak of real forgiveness. Underline these and write real forgiveness in the margins and then memorize those verses. The word of God, you see, is our sword of the spirit with which we defeat Satan. Now, I read and reread the book of Isaiah in several different translations. I just love that book. I have especially enjoyed the Passion Translation, although I always check it against other translations when I read it. And that is sometimes the author, the, the translator there, uh, tries real hard to give the meaning and many times not, not the literal translation. So there, sometimes you have to read the footnotes to see what it actually says. But anyway, I have really enjoyed it in the book of Isaiah. And so here's some verses from the Passion Translation, Isaiah 118. Though your sin stains, though your sins stain you like scarlet, I will whiten them like bright new fallen snow. Even though they are deep red like crimson, they will be made white like wool. Now, could you do that with self-forgiveness? Could you make sin stains change from a blood red color to the brightness of new snow? No, you can't. But God can, and so celebrate his forgiveness. Here's another great verse of real forgiveness. This is, this is Isaiah uh, chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 in the Passion Translation. Then the remnant in Zion and Jerusalem, those who are written for life in Jerusalem, that means their names are in the book of life, will be called holy, and the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughter of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem by a spirit of justice and by a spirit of burning. Now, when you forgive yourself, can you cleanse away the, sins, uh, the stains of your sin with a spirit of justice and a spirit of burning? <laughs> uh, no, of course not. But God can. So why not just count 100% on his wonderful and full and effective forgiveness and just celebrate your forgiveness in Christ. All right, here's another verse, Isaiah chapter six, five and six in the Passion Translation. Then I stammered and said, woe is me, I'm destroyed, doomed as a sinful man for my words are tainted and I live among people who talk the same way. King Yahweh, commander of angels' armies, my eyes have gazed upon him. Then out of the smoke, one of the angels of fire flew to me. He had in his hands a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, the burning coal from the altar has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is blotted out. Now, why would a coal from the altar have that effect? My understanding is that the blood of the sacrificial lamb that foreshadowed the sacrifice of Christ, that blood had dripped down on the coals of the altar. And Isaiah's sins were blotted out because of a blood sacrifice and angelic application. The Apostle Paul wrote in Hebrews 9, we believe him to be the author of Hebrews, and almost all things are cleansed with blood according to the law, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. 
Now, could you or I shed our own blood for the remission of our own sins? Would God consider that a pure and undefiled substitutionary sacrifice? And could we then blot out our own sin from the record books of heaven? Well, the answer is no. And remember, if your sins are blotted out, then there's no record of them left. This means when the devil says, now you need to forgive yourself, you should reply, I'm forgiven because of the blood of the lamb and my sins have been blotted out because of his sacrifice. So be gone, you liar. Now this is a perfect example of what the scriptures say. They overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Revelations 12:11. Your testimony that overcomes the devil is never I have forgiven myself. You see, we overcome the accuser of the brethren by the sacrifice of Christ and our testimony that he has done it all and that the sacrifice has accomplished it all and that way he gets all the glory. But friend, it robs God of his rightful glory when misguided religiosity says, now you need to forgive yourself. And I I know that a lot of well-meaning people have, have been tricked into that by the devil. We need to stop condemning ourselves, but you can't forgive yourself. So it needs to be reworded at, at the very minimum. Now Isaiah prophesied, those who walked in darkness have seen a radiant light shining upon them. They once lived in the shadows of death, but now a glorious light has dawned. Lord, you have multiplied the nation and given them overwhelming joy. They are ecstatic in your presence and rejoice like those who bring in a great harvest and those who divide up the spoils of victory. For you have broken the chains that have bound your people and lifted off the heavy bar across their shoulders, the rod the oppressor used against them. You have shattered all their bondage. Now the great light that he's prophesying was Jesus Christ. And he won this great victory, and now we are ecstatic and we rejoice like ones who are dividing up the spoils of victory, see? So he won forgiveness for you. He won healing for you. He won eternal life for you, and we, we share in his victory. But we, we sure couldn't shatter the, the rod of the oppressor and lift off the heavy bar from our shoulders. No, Jesus did that. The radiant light wasn't his Jesus, and he's... He alone is strong enough to break your chains of sin. He alone is strong enough to lift that heavy bar of bondage and addiction off your shoulders. He alone won the great victory, but we in ecstatic joy rejoice and share the spoils of his victory, which are peace, freedom, purity, healing, health, blessing, and eternal life in God's paradise and presence. Your forgiveness required a savior who could break the chains you could not break and lift the bar of bondage you and I could not lift. Now, we don't win this victory by trying to forgive ourselves. Instead, we rejoice and share the plunder or the fruits of Christ's victory. So let's tell the devil, I don't have to break the chains. I don't have to lift the heavy bar of bondage. Jesus did it for me. And then go right on celebrating that awesome victory that he won. Now, here's another verse from Isaiah 44. God is speaking. I created you to be my servant, and I will never forget you. I have swept away your sins like a thick cloud. I have made your guilt to vanish like mist disappearing into thin air. Now, come back 
Come back to me, for I paid the price for you. Sing, starry sky above. Break loose with singing, for Yahweh has finished it. <laughs> shout, earth deep below. Give up your shout, mountains high. Break out with joyous songs of praise. Let the forest choirs join in, and let every tree singing its no with every tree singing its notes, for Yahweh has paid the ransom price for Jacob's tribes and he will be glorified in Israel. That's Isaiah 44, 21b, uh, the second part of the verse there, through verse 23 in the Passion Translation. That's why you should read, read these verses and mark real forgiveness, real forgiveness. Could you or I sweep away our sins with a big enough broom? Could we make our guilt vanish? Of course not. Now, trying to forgive yourself just rehearses your guilt. And this is why the Bible doesn't mention in even one place that you need to forgive yourself. But it does say you should praise God in joyous songs and shout for joy because of what Jesus has done. Here's Isaiah 55, 7. The wicked need to abandon their ways and the sinful ones need to banish every evil thought. Let them return to Yahweh and they will experience his compassionate mercy. Yes, let them return to God for he will lavish forgiveness upon them. Well, I'd rather have real forgiveness lavished upon me by God than the measly power of self-help, self-forgiveness, the straw shield, the cardboard sword. We need to, we need to concentrate on repentance. Now, that's our business. God's business is to lavish forgiveness upon us. And if God lavishes forgiveness on me, that means I have more than enough and I don't need to attempt to add anything to it. Instead of vainly saying, now I forgive myself, I say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for lavishing forgiveness upon me. I give you all the glory. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, all who do this truly overcome the devil and all of his accusations. And we must take our stand in Christ alone. My fifth point, we do need to thoroughly repent in godly sorrow. Now, our business is to repent sincerely and thoroughly. And this involves what the Bible calls godly sorrow. Not that we, we're, we're not sorry that we got caught, not sorry for ourselves and our big mess, but a godly sorrow is when we're grieved that we grieve the heart of God. That's what godly sorrow is. We, we hurt inside to know that we, we hurt him. And the apostle Paul wrote, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Now, see, but leaves no regret. If you're still regretting all your sins, Maybe you didn't repent thoroughly enough. So once I repent real thoroughly of some goof up or mess up or unintentional sin or whatever that I need to ask forgiveness for, I make sure that I repent with all my heart and then it's done. And I don't regret the mess up. All right, when we're grieved that we hurt the heart of God with our sin, then we change our minds and our direction. We turn around in repentance. This brings God's salvation, which includes his forgiveness, 
and this salvation leaves no regret. All right, I'll read the verse again. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. The salvation takes away the regret. The attempt of self-forgiveness just increases regret. Real salvation, real forgiveness, so changes a person that, that there is no regret. The godly sorrow is, is not a long-term thing. It's deep, it's sincere, it's heartfelt, and it may involve many tears, but it leads directly to God's salvation and leads there quickly. It's like a vehicle that we ride in to get to the throne of God. Then we get out of the vehicle. We don't need it anymore. So we don't live in regret. Now, here's something I really believe. I believe God makes lemonades out of our lemons. Most of my sins have been the unintentional kind where I made some big stupid mistake or error because I was deceived in some way. And uh, I can't go back and undo the really stupid things I've done. I just have to, since I have just sincerely repented, I've received God's forgiveness, and then I move on without regret. However, I've seen God mix grace into these lemons of error, and I've helped thousands of people avoid similar mistakes and errors. So I often teach major on worship, minor on warfare, major on revealing Christ, minor on exposing the devil. Now that's spiritual lemonade because I made some big goof ups. I repented. I got forgiven by God. I learned a lot. And now by God's grace, I can help others avoid similar goose goof ups. So I don't feel regret. I'm happy to be on the right track helping others. I often say, if you learn wisdom from my mistakes, you're getting wisdom wholesale. If you have to learn the hard way by making these mistakes yourself, you'll be paying retail for wisdom. Now, when we repent with godly sorrow, we experience God's lavish forgiveness, and then, friend, we move on. Wiser and more humble, more caring for others, more understanding, and more compassionate. My sixth point is that we must also avoid self-condemnation. Self-condemnation occurs when a person joins in agreement with the devil who is condemning them. Now, this is not repentance. Some Christians easily agree with the devil who tells them what a loser they are or how bad they are. The solution isn't to forgive yourself. The solution is to not agree with the devil. So soon after feeding 5,000 people, Jesus encountered a man with legions of demons, and a, and a, a Roman legion was 6,000 troops. So the demon, the lead demon that was a spokesman said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now this man had been so insane, he lived in tombs, naked, with no clothes. He'd cry out and cut himself all the time, which meant he was condemning himself, hating himself. Now what great evil had this man done to open himself up to possession by 6,000 demons. Jesus cast those demons out and, and soon the man was clothed in his right mind sitting at Jesus' feet and he wanted to follow Jesus. But Jesus told him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. 
Now, the Bible says that the man went and began to tell in Decapolis, which means the 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him. Mark chapter 5. This man received mercy, forgiveness, and deliverance. He did not forgive himself, nor did he condemn himself. He received mercy, forgiveness from Christ, and then he went and told people how good Jesus was. Now, getting your focus on Christ is the opposite of self-condemnation. Once Jesus was confronted by Pharisees who had caught a woman in the act of adultery. They let the man go free. They didn't bring him. They didn't arrest him, which shows that they were completely unjust. But they said, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Jesus bent down and started writing things on the ground. And they kept on questioning him. And then he stood up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down and wrote more things on the ground. Now, we don't know what he wrote. I just assume he was writing the sins that those men were guilty of. And one by one, starting with the oldest, they left and, until finally the youngest left. And, and Jesus said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now notice this woman didn't forgive herself, nor did she condemn herself. She just received forgiveness thankfully and moved on into a new life. Now one time years ago, I was feeling really terrible about myself. And I imagined a scale uh, from zero to 10, uh, uh, kind of on my chest with an arrow pointed towards me. And this arrow of self-esteem had, had gone all the way down to zero. And I said, oh, God, I feel so terrible about myself. I feel like such a zero. I don't suppose you want me to feel that way, but I, I don't think you want the arrow up on 10 where I think I'm the grandest tiger in the jungle. Just, just where on the scale would you like this arrow to be? And God spoke to me and said, turn that arrow around and focus on me. And then I realized by the Spirit of God that any kind of self-focus creates a problem. Self-focus creates a problem. You see, if the arrow is pointed towards you and it's at the low end of the scale, then you have self-hatred. But if it's in the middle, you have mediocrity. You're stuck there thinking, I'll never be anybody. I'll never do anything significant. I'm a nobody. I'm just, uh, that's mediocrity. I can't do anything great for God. But if the arrow is up on 9 and 10, then you're in pride and arrogance. So any self-focus creates a problem. We need to focus on Jesus. And the man who was delivered of 6,000 demons received forgiveness from Christ and got his focus on Christ and went and told everybody how wonderful Jesus was. The woman whom Jesus did not condemn went away thinking how wonderful Jesus was. And listen, God wants you to do the same. Turn that arrow around and focus on Christ. My seventh point, who doesn't get forgiveness? Now once, to my regret, there was a successful network marketer who had helped me before, but he wanted to sign me up as a distributor for some new product, and I declined. Because in the latter part of my life now, I, I 
I don't want any distractions. I want to finish the work I'm called to. So I don't want to divide my interests. <clears throat> so instead, I asked him, I said, I'd like to make money just preaching and, and writing books, but uh, would you like to sponsor some of my forgiveness books that we send to prisons? I told him I'd make a little bit of royalty on that. And uh, he just disdained me. And he disdained my book on forgiveness. And he said, if I gave you a donation, I'd just be giving you a fish instead of teaching you how to fish. And then he said this, I also teach forgiveness. I teach people to forgive themselves. Now, I knew right then that that man was lost. I had thought maybe that he was a Christian. But he'd believed a lie that people don't need the blood of Jesus to forgive them for sin. In his thinking, all they had to do was forgive themselves. Now, that's as if there's no eternal judge who can cast people into an eternal fire. Eternal fire. Everyone whose name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. So he was acting as if there's no devil out to constantly condemn people and hold them captive to shame and self-loathing. Now that's the kind of forgiveness self-help gurus preach. Occultists preach that kind of forgiveness. Secular psychologists preach that kind of forgiveness. And it's become so popular, this lie has swept through the church. But my friend, if God doesn't forgive you, you are not forgiven. And for God to forgive a person, they must repent and turn from their sin. And Paul wrote this in Hebrews if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So as a Christian, we, we can't deliberately keep on sinning without repentance. All right, that, then if, if we sin accidentally, we don't know we're sinning, we really would like to do better, we're wonderfully covered by the blood of Christ, but deliberate sin that stubbornly refuses to repent, that is uh, idolatry and rebellion. And there's nothing left for people then. Those are the people that don't get forgiven. Now, Jesus told a parable of a man who, owned, uh, uh, who, uh, who owed his king 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was worth about 20 years of a day laborer's wages. So the man owed 200,000 years of wages. Now, in today's money, who knows what the average wage is? Let's say it's 50,000, and in America, that's probably, you know, I don't know if that's low, high, medium. Let's just say a year's wages is 50,000. Now, take that times 10,000, that's half a billion dollars. And in Christ's parable, the king forgave the man that big of a debt. Now, the man didn't forgive himself. He was in debt to the king. So only the king could cancel his debt. And only the king can cancel your debt of sin. You're not in debt to yourself. You're in debt to the king. But after receiving that great forgiveness, the man who had received the mercy did not pass the mercy on. He found a man who owed him 100 days wages. Now, remember, he had owed 200,000 years 
of wages. And this man only owed him 100 days wages. But the man asked for mercy and said, give me more time and I'll repay. And this, this wicked servant cast him into debtor's prison uh, until his debt should be paid. Well, Jesus said the master or the king called that servant in and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And Jesus, now remember, if he had to pay back 200,000 years wages and do it from prison, that would be totally impossible. And that he couldn't pay it out of prison. He wasn't going to be able to pay it from within prison. It meant he was going to be tortured forever. And Jesus said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. Now, this is why Jesus taught us to pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You can't forgive yourself because it's a debt to God and only God can forgive such a huge debt. But you can forgive your debtors. Now, once you have received mercy, you can and must pass that mercy on. And if you refuse to forgive others, your debt of sin will be reinstated. You'll be given over to the jailers, the tormentors, until you pay in full. That means you'd never be able to pay it. You'd suffer eternal judgment. Now, here's my conclusion. Do you see why you can forgive others? but not yourself, you must receive your forgiveness from the king of kings, and then you forgive your fellow servants. Don't forgive yourself, and don't condemn yourself either. And don't hold unforgiveness against others. Don't refuse to repent and continue on in habitual sins. Now let's put all that in a positive way. Receive forgiveness from Christ, celebrate that forgiveness with joy and thanksgiving, pass the mercy on to others, overcome the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the Lamb and, your, and the word of your testimony, which is, Jesus has paid my debt. Jesus has erased my sins from God's record books. He has done what I could never do. All glory to his name. Now, dear friend, Let's go tell the world what great things the Lord has done for us. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com. Or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon 97426.